fabulous people of Central Vineyard. In recent times, the phrase be kind has been heard from the lips of our Prime Minister almost daily. If you're anything like me, as sincere as the comment is, her reminder to be kind is met with an internal eye roll and is assigned to the metaphorical container reserved for cliche political rhetoric. Now, for those far more mature than me, for those less cynical, I applaud you and I welcome your prayers. Regardless of where you land, it's fair to say that be kind, somewhere along the lines, has lost its punch. For some it means one thing and for some it means another. But what should it mean for us as disciples of Christ? Or in other words, students of Christ. Today, I write about kindness. Kindness is the fifth fruit of the Spirit. As Natalie mentioned last week, like patience, kindness is not a virtue on its own. It's a manifestation of love. In fact, kindness is so inextricably linked to love that early Bible translators coined the word loving kindness based on the Hebrew word hesed, which incorporates kindness, love, and grace all into one. At a base level, we all know kindness when we see it. Kindness is a quality of being generous, helpful, and caring about other people, or an act showing this quality. So, Giving money to someone in need is kind. Complimenting someone on their appearance or character is kind. Delivering groceries to someone in level four lockdown because they have to self-isolate is kind. Simply put, kindness is focused on others, selfless and benefits the one it's aimed at. However, as with all the fruits of the spirit, kindness we see found in the Bible, God's version of kindness goes beyond our cultures. It adds some extra characteristics that sets it apart from culture's version. Generally speaking, culture's version of be kind has unspoken subclauses attached, such as be kind to a point, be kind if you can, be kind as long as it's not too costly. As someone with a full-time job and income, If I gave one dollar to someone in need, while it would be a nice thing to do, in reality, I wouldn't miss that one dollar. In reality, it means very little to me, so therefore, is it really kind? Our culture would say, yes, of course, you didn't have to give that money away. They now have an extra dollar that they didn't have before. 
While this is true, if we were to use biblical expressions of kindness as a metric, we'd have to answer no. Biblical kindness is costly to the giver, be it time, money, or pride. Perhaps the story that best exemplifies this is the story of the Good Samaritan, who stopped and tended to the needs of the man who was essentially his arch enemy. Not only did the Samaritan tend to the man's wounds, he also paid for his accommodation and returned later to see how he was doing. This act of kindness cost the Samaritan his time, his money, his pride, and social status. It was a costly exercise. These costly acts of kindness are littered throughout the Bible. I think of the woman bursting into the room where she shouldn't have been, filled with men high above her social status, and extravagantly pouring out expensive perfume onto Jesus. I think of Jesus, though exhausted and hungry from teaching all day, continuing to teach because he had compassion on the people. Biblical kindness is costly to the giver. There is a price to pay. While biblical kindness costs the giver, it never costs the one who receives it. Many of you will know about Gratis, the community meal initiative at CV that provides people in need with food, community and connection. More times than I care to admit, I found myself seething when the free, hot meals that the team and I have prepared, cooked and handed out to those in need has been met with ungratefulness, complaints and indignation. We even had people throw their meal on the ground in protest because, for some reason, they weren't happy with it. When this happens, my head is flooded with thoughts. How dare you? Who do you think you are? You have no idea what's gone into this meal. You ungrateful little so-and-so. I take offence. Don't they see how much time and effort has gone into this? I don't have to be doing this. Don't they see how kind I am? Don't they see how great I am? At this moment, I'm confronted with the fact that the supposed free meal I handed out in apparent kindness wasn't really free after all. Instead of money, I was wanting recognition and gratitude. Recognition for my time, energy and service. However, in wanting this, I've stepped out of the realm of kindness and turned it into a transaction. In the book of Luke, Jesus says, If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate, just as your Father is compassionate. Luke 6, 32-34 You see, biblical kindness has no strings attached. It costs nothing for the one who receives it. It is given and expects nothing in return, not even gratitude. As noted in verse 35, God's kindness extends to those who are ungrateful. In the same verse, Jesus says that God's kindness is extended to those who are wicked. Other translations use the word evil. 
This is another way of saying God's kindness is available and extended to all. God's kindness doesn't discriminate. It's extended to people who have different socio-political views to us. It's extended to the person whose social media posts we took offence at. It's extended to the man who attacked those people in Countdown Newland. It's extended to me and it's extended to you. Since I was a child, I've always been drawn to the underdog or the down and out. For whatever reason, I've attracted attention from and been drawn towards those who struggle to fit in. As a child, I would take people under my wing and go into bat for them when necessary, particularly in the often brutal setting of school. I've always had a soft spot for the disenfranchised and the marginalised. Subsequently, I find it easy to treat them with kindness. While that all sounds nice and self-congratulatory, conversely, I struggle to show the same level of kindness to those who, in my eyes, appear to have it all together and act like they know they do. For me, nothing is harder than showing kindness to someone who I believe has cruised through life, has got everything for nothing and lives for themselves. Add to that recipe even the slightest hint of arrogance and it's all over. It's near impossible for me to show them kindness. Yet biblical kindness, the kindness Jesus extends, calls me to extend it to them as much as I would my wife, my kids and my friends. This is the love your neighbour as yourself idea in action. All of humanity is our neighbour. Where our culture says some are more worthy of kindness than others, God says everyone is worthy of kindness. Everyone is worthy of kindness. A kindness that costs us and a kindness that seeks nothing in return because the cost is worth it. People are worth it. This is the same kindness shown to us by God through Jesus. Philippians 2, 6-8 says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If kindness is costly, if kindness is extended to all, if kindness seeks nothing in return, if kindness is generous and contingent on nothing, then the incarnation, death and resurrection of Jesus is surely the very definition of kindness. Even if that was all God did, that would be enough. In addition to that, God answers prayers, He heals, He provides, He desires relationship with us, He sets us apart. The kindness of God is mind-blowing. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. We are to be kind because God is kind. God is kind. God is a kind God. There are phrases that no doubt we've all heard. I have memories of singing songs of God's kindness and goodness at Children's Church, of playing games and involved reciting the fruits of the Spirit in order to receive a chocolate fish. It was a good time, chocolate fish are a great time. I'd recite anything to get a chocolate fish. Growing up, I was read stories of God's kindness, how he led the Israelites out of Egypt, how he stopped an angry mob from killing a woman, how he touched and healed lepers, and ultimately, how he sent his son to die in my place. 
The idea that God is kind has been ingrained in me since I was a child. It is not novel. I know it. Yet how many of us have learned it's easy to know something, but to believe it is another kettle of chocolate fish? Maybe you had the opposite experience, where you grew up with the message that God is an angry and vengeful God, and the notion that God is kind is at best novel and at worst foreign and unbelievable. Like the catchphrase of our Prime Ministers, I wonder, for some of us, if the idea of a kind God has been relegated into the metaphorical container reserved for cliché Christian rhetoric. Whatever your experience, today I pose this question. Do you believe that God is kind? Not do you know what have you heard, but do you believe, deep down in the core of your being, that God is kind? Is God's kindness a lived experience or just an idea? I'd suggest that our response to the question will impact how we cultivate and exemplify the spiritual fruit of kindness in our lives. If we cannot see that the architect of kindness is God, that God is kind, then we hinder ourselves from receiving the blessing of God's kindness and extending it to others. If the notion that God is kind is not a lived experience for you, I want to suggest two points that I pray will be helpful. Firstly, invite someone into the conversation. We were not made to do this on our own. Talk to a friend, talk to a pastor, talk to someone who can share and pray with you. Secondly, and more importantly, invite God into the conversation. Sit with him, wait on him, tell him where you're at, tell him what you're feeling, tell him what you're not feeling but wished you were. He's a big boy, he can take it. Ask him to open your eyes and heart to the beauty of his life-changing kindness. For those who truly believe that God is kind and have experienced his kindness, I invite you on a journey of self-reflection to take stock of your own expressions and definitions of kindness. Spiritual fruit grows as a result of Christ living in us through the Spirit. As our faith matures, these fruits should continue to grow and become more evident. While willpower alone and trying harder is futile in growing the fruit, it would be remiss of us to not approach kindness with some sort of intention. After all, in order for fruit to grow, it needs to be intentionally nurtured. So therefore, I ask you as I ask myself, does your kindness cost you? Do your expressions of kindness come with the expense of time, money, pride, or status? Or do they cost you very little? Does your kindness expect anything in return? Praise, affirmation, or gratitude, to name a few? Or are your expressions of kindness like Christ's contingent on nothing? Is your kindness extended to everyone? Or like mine, is it reserved for some more than others? Does the person on the street or the person who is making bad life choices or the person you disagree with on social media receive the same level of kindness shown to your like-minded friends, your family and those closest to you? Now, my intention is not to shame us or to make any of us feel bad. If Jesus is our measuring stick, the bar is super high. And the reality is, we could spend a lifetime maturing in our faith, and we'll still fall short. My intention is to draw us back to what God's expression of kindness looks like. 
and to use their Zamitrik for our own. Finally, I invite you all to dream a little with me. What would it look like if tomorrow every Christ follower woke up with the understanding and lived experience that God is kind and that God's extravagant kindness is extended to them? What would it look like if tomorrow every Christ follower's definition and expressions of kindness mirrored that of Jesus? What would it look like if the church, capital C Church, was known for its loving kindness more than anything else? What a glorious picture this would be. Aroha nui. Throw